A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Get in the long teams with a bunch of demons. We believe that human beings are demons. Oh, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are gods by faith in his son... <laughs> Right? Two Corinthians, three seven. Victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. And right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. Dog episode 60. I am your host, the Evangelical Norm. Uh, this week we are back responding to Faith and Beliefs with David Snell from Saints Unscripted. And um, again, initially when I saw the, the topic of this, he's kind of moved away from. So back up, take 10 steps back here, real quick. I started this podcast responding to. The new segment that they did, and it's been a little over a year, maybe two now, um, episodes, they, Saints Unscripted created a portion of their podcast called Faith and Beliefs, and it was supposed to be talking about their faith and beliefs, just that. So it was uh, started out with the Articles of Faith. And so when I saw that, I said, I'm going to respond to each and every one of these. So initially, I, I, this was titled Faith and Beliefs Refuted. And then later on down the road, as I started dealing with other false teachers and so on, um, I got, I renamed it the master's dog because it wasn't just dealing with Mormonism and stuff like that. So, uh, but as 
the faith and beliefs, and again, my, my commitment to respond to every one of the faith and beliefs segments is still there, and I have, and a few of them have been where I've gone, I don't know what I'm really even going to say about this, because it's not, hasn't, wasn't necessarily dealing with their faith and their beliefs, it was just kind of history, which is the, the last, I don't know, probably two months have been a lot of history, so David did like this uh, you know, 50,000 foot overview of uh, Christian history from the Mormon viewpoint. Then the last couple of weeks, he's talked about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And today we're going to get into something even, you know, different from that. And uh, so most people don't know that Joseph Smith was the first LDS presidential candidate. Wasn't Mitt Romney. I don't know if Mitt Romney's dad actually might have been a candidate at one time, but um, I can't even think of his name, his dad's name, George Romney, something like that. Um, And so Joseph Smith had run for president. So this week, David is going to take us back through that history uh, of Joseph Smith's presidential candidacy. And again, initially when I, I looked at it, I was like, I don't know what I can take out of this. He's just presenting history but there is uh, something that we'll talk about so with that i'm gonna go ahead we're gonna jump in i'm gonna let david do what david do and let him start to tell us about this and then we'll we'll stop and respond as we need to so here you go hey guys so you may be familiar with joseph smith the prophet but you may not be as familiar with joseph smith the presidential candidate so that's what we're going to talk about in this episode let's rock and roll Here's another thing that, that uh, just before we get into this, I want to point out. Um, Wild Stallions. Uh, why you got to take and, and ruin a great movie for me. Um, so, growing up in Utah, you would think that being, you know, the LDS church is a huge portion of this. You would think this, this would be something that a student would learn about. I never knew. I did not know. I'd never learned anything about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. I had no clue that Joseph Smith had ever run for president. It was not taught in church. It was not taught in in schools. Nothing. Um, so this is all new. There's a whole lot of stuff that is, and this is the reason why they're they're dealing with these things now because they can't hide it anymore. You know, all these things: the Mountain Meadows Massacre, Joseph Smith's failed presidential run, and things like that. That when I was growing up, these were things that were hidden away. Now with the advent of the uh, internet, these are things that can't be hidden anymore. So now they have to deal with them. So these things are are coming up and being dealt with more and more. And so that's why we get to do what we do. Um, So just wanted to point that out. Let's let's continue on. Excellent! By 1844, Latter-day Saints had endured relentless persecution, and the government really wasn't doing too much to stop it. Now, 1844 was an election year, so Joseph wanted to know if there were any candidates out there that would be sympathetic towards the Saints' plight. He wrote to five candidates, only three replied, and unfortunately, none of the responses gave the Saints much comfort. So, in a meeting in Mayor Joseph Smith's Nauvoo office, it was therefore moved by Willard Richards and voted unanimously that we will have an independent electoral ticket and that Joseph Smith be a candidate for the next presidency. Now, did Joseph actually think he could win? Probably not. No, 
Well, there's some debate on that. To me, the evidence indicates that Joseph knew winning was unlikely, but he was certainly going to shoot a shot. I am not throwing away my, not throwing away my shot. Well, here's, a, here's a question. If, if Joseph Smith is a prophet of God and he communicates regularly with God, why wouldn't he just ask God? Why wouldn't God tell him, you're going to win, you're going to lose, blah, blah, blah. He's the prophet, right? He's supposed to have the, the direct line with God. And, I mean, if you know you're going to lose, why run? Um, and again, I mean, that can be answered. And I think David does answer it here in a minute. Um, it just Sometimes you just run to make a statement. Some people do are, you know, sacrificial lambs. Nah, bad pun. Bad, which is what Joseph really would have liked to have been. But uh, so sometimes people run just to make a point. Um, but a, again, if you're the prophet and you have you have God's ear, don't you think you would know and not just have to guess? I don't know. But really, it was a win-win situation for Joseph because if he won the election, great. If he lost, putting himself forward as a candidate was still beneficial for many reasons. It allowed the saints to vote for someone they actually liked and whose views they supported. In February 1844, the Times and Seasons published, If we have to throw away our votes, we had better do so upon a worthy rather than upon an unworthy individual who might make use of the weapon we put in his hand to destroy us with. Joseph's candidacy also probably helped avoid further persecution in Illinois because... If the massive body of saints voted for the Democratic candidate, the Whigs would have been mad. If they voted for the Whig candidate, the Democrats would have been mad. Voting for Joseph virtually removed the saints from the crossfire. Best of both worlds. Running for president was also a way for the saints to spread the gospel and also to gain sympathy from the public in hopes of obtaining some kind of justice for the wrongs committed against them in the past. Like, you know, that whole Mormon extermination order thing. Thanks for that, Governor Boggs. After Joseph's nomination, he sent out hundreds of missionaries to preach the gospel and electioneer. And if you read their journals, there really was a lot of preaching going on. They were able to dispel rumors about the church and strengthen distant branches of saints. Even after Joseph was... Let's just call it what it is. They were able to tell a lot of lies about the church. Um, dispelling rumors. A lot of the, the rumors... And as well, we see as they go more and more into the history, were not rumors. They were just really bad teachings. So these guys were, were literally going out and trying to do damage control. Um, you know, dealing with polygamy and stuff like that. They weren't rumors. They were horrible teachings that this church put out um, as Joseph Smith's theology evolved. And these missionaries were going out to essentially do to either lie, cover up, or do damage control. ...was killed just a few months after announcing his candidacy, those missionaries didn't all just return home. They stopped electioneering, but continued to preach. And there's a link to some great research in the description if you want to learn more about what electioneering for Joseph looked like. Joseph's political views were summarized in a pamphlet called General Smith's Views of the Power and Policy of the Government of the United States, which there's also a link to in the description. Ah, pardon me. 
But Joseph didn't side with any single political party. In fact, in that pamphlet, he wrote, we have had democratic presidents, Whig presidents, a pseudo-democratic Whig president, Pardon. and now it is time to have a president of the United States. Joseph organized a special group composed mostly, but not entirely, of Latter-day Saints called the Council of Fifty, largely to manage his campaign. This group was separate from, but parallel to, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, Latter-day Saints believe that when Christ comes again, the second coming, he will rule on earth for a thousand years as both a religious and political leader. We believe Christ will be our prophet, priest, and king. One of the purposes of the Council of Fifty was to lay the foundation for that future kingdom of God. And until the time should come that Christ would take the reins, the Council anointed Joseph to be their prophet, priest, and king. According to church historian Matthew Groh, council participants understood that this action would have no immediate political consequences, but it symbolized their desire to prepare for the millennial kingdom of God. And the idea of becoming kings and priests in the kingdom of God is closely related to our temple ordinances and reflects Revelation 5:10, Thou hast made unto us our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. There was no coronation ceremony, no crown, but Joseph did support this idea of a theodemocracy, which combined democratic principles and protection of freedoms with a divinely guided ruler, which is how Joseph believed Christ would rule in the millennium. And members of the Council of Fifty were sent out... Okay, let's just stop right there. Because this was just kind of gleaned over momentarily. So Joseph is running for president. These people just anointed him king. Let that sink in for a moment. Just let that resonate. Let's talk about the Council of the Fifty. The Council of the Fifty's name, the name by revelation, was the kingdom of God and his laws with the keys and power thereof and judgment in the hands of his servants, Amen Christ. That was the, the title. And it, it was, as he says, it was, was separate, but whatever, I don't remember what he said, but parallel to, it was an LDS organization. There were people in this organization, excuse me, that were not LDS, but it was an LDS organization. It was founded and uh, operated by the church. Many of the members, the majority of the members were council or quorum of the twelve. Uh, apostles, um, you know, other people, John B. Lee, who we just talked about the last two weeks in the Mountain Meadows Massacre, who was the key, well, the scapegoat um, for the Mountain Meadows Massacre, was a member of this Council of the Fifty, or this Kingdom of God, the Living Constitution, whatever names you want to give them. But they literally anointed Joseph as king. There's an issue there. There is literally an issue there. Because again, as Christians, we do believe that Jesus is coming back to be prophet, priest, and king. He is going to rule and to reign. And, you know, whatever your eschatology is, pre-millennial, post-millennial, uh, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, whatever. Jesus is going to come and have a reign where he is going to rule. Um, and so, but here is the Mormons are doing is they are putting their person in the place. And uh, this Council of Fifty, not only did they anoint Joseph as king, but after his death and the 
the new leader was of the mainstream, at least after the different offshoots, Brigham Young was anointed as a prophet, priest, and king. And I believe uh, one other person, John John Taylor, the third president of the LDS Church, was also anointed as king in this. So, again, as the the church was a theocratic, um, I guess kind of like Chaz or Chop or whatever we got going up there in Seattle, they were attention, intentionally trying to be an autonomous group and self-governed and so on, which is uh, a huge portion of why they were, you know, when they went out to the Utah Territory, um, Brigham was the governor or the overseer of the territory, but according to the church, he was the king, King Joseph, King Brigham, but they were also the prophet and, you know, and so on. So here again, the, the elevation of these men to put them on the level, uh, with Christ, that was the intention to, to make Joseph the, the Christ figure. Um, until Christ's return, which he believed was going to happen in his lifetime. You know, all of these things, the, the, the goal of the, the 50 was to prepare this for Jesus to come back again, which Joseph was saying, you know, even 50 years should wind up the scene. According to all the, the things, I think Jesus should have appeared uh, and before 1886, somewhere in there, was, should have been the time period. But reality set in Joseph died before he was even able to run for president or make it to the election you know his his anointing as king did not last very long and again all of these things cast aspersions on the even the ability to act as a prophet because he knew none of these things he none of this was revealed to him by God that none of this was going to happen this is just one more in a long string of examples that Joseph Smith literally was a con man. And all he was doing was, was making things up as he went. And, and as you see with the majority of other cult leaders, Jim Jones, David Koresh, um, and so on, taking more and more power. I mean, he went from being, you know, the, the author and the leader of this church uh, to becoming the prophet of this church. And now he has not only got at aspirations of president of a presidential reign, but he's made himself king over the LDS people. And who knows what could have happened if, if he had gotten to an election. I mean, there's, I can't imagine there's any way Joseph Smith was going to win this presidential election. Obviously we know he wasn't <clears throat> God being sovereign and all that stuff. It, it was never going to happen. But when you take someone who's already anointed themselves as king, put them in another position of power, it's only going to get worse. And you saw it with Brigham Young and the way that Utah was ruled and Mountain Meadows Massacre and stuff like that. Again, Brigham being anointed the king of these people, I don't think this any of that Mountain Meadows Massacre happened without his involvement in some way, shape, or form. But, so there it is. There you go. And I mean, we don't even need to at this point. We don't even need to let David finish because there's only a couple minutes left and, and it's all just whatever. But here we get to that that crux of the, the situation is Joseph was seeking power. <clears throat> he 
excuse me, by whatever means. He was the mayor of Nauvoo. He was the the general of the, the Mormon, whatever they called their, their little army thing. He was a general. He was a mayor. He was now running for president, and he had been anointed king. This man was seeking power upon power upon power. Making himself, and I mean, I mean, you you see it in the, I can't remember if it was, I think it was the King Follett discourse, where he literally said, I will exalt myself to where Christ is, as Christ is going to move on. I'm going to exalt myself to his place. Joseph was power seeking. This is why most people consider Mormonism a cult, because the roots of its beginning was in cultish leadership like Joseph and building and building and building and taking more and more power for himself. And that is the danger. And that is the root of this tree. And if the root is bad, the tree is bad. It doesn't matter if the, what the, what they're trying to present as fruit looks good. It's a deception and it is truly, truly bad because no matter how sweet the fruit tastes, the fruit of Mormonism only leads to hell. There's no saving gospel. There's no salvation available in the Mormon church because they follow a false gospel, a false prophet, a false Christ. So, my Mormon friend, if you're watching this, please read the gospels in the Bible and look at what the Bible truly says about who Christ is. Repent Flee Mormonism, flee the, flee the false religion, repent of your sin, and put your trust in the true Christ, who does not share that kingship with anybody. He is the king. He is the, our, our high priest. He is our savior and our God. Turn to him. And Christian, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.